The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Jared, let's do cut number two. Cut number two. Because uh, Connor told us we didn't do a good job of on the first one, one, but don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> don't say something you just said. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited. Let's let's do this third podcast. This last one that we just did on on modeling. Remember the the couples of humility mm-hmm. and courage and authenticity and vulnerability and empathy and performance. Yeah. Yeah. So this next one, we're going to uh, jump into the trusting side of things and yeah. how we're led. So talk to us a little bit about how we lead by trust. Yeah. So now it's trust and inspire. Now we're finally getting to how do we lead, do by, we trusting lead by trusting people, right? Uh, a trust and inspire leader, or again, you've heard me say this in the first podcast, a gardener leader knows that the greatness is inside the seed, right? Like like you had said, and and they just need to create the environment and trust the seed. You can't reach in as a gardener and say, like, squeeze the seed and make it grow, right? Uh, The the trust and inspire leader knows there's greatness inside the leader, and they just want to help that greatness come out. But, you know, you can't make it come out. Command and control leaders think that you can. Grow, seed. Like, come out. Come out of the earth, right? I mean, that's – but and command and control leaders believe people will just do what they're told. They breed compliance, which is good, but they stifle potential. The fleas, right? The fleas that are hitting mm-hmm. the, the ceiling. Trust and inspire leaders do all that they can to communicate that potential of their teams. They see it, they communicate it, and they help develop it. I, practice say, sayings like this, I trust you, and here's why I trust you, followed by specific reasons. Like, this is why I trust you. You're so good at this. I know I overtell this, the the Don Quixote, right? Mm-hmm. That's my little Spanish accent. The he he believed in people. Um and often more than they believed in themselves. I, I spoke at my dad's funeral and I referred to him as my Don Quixote. So what happens is people don't want to let him down. That that kind of confidence inspires. What but remember and Stephen Covey asked this question a lot. He might ask it at our annual meeting when he speaks to us. But he, he says, is it possible for two trustworthy people to not trust each other? The answer to that is yes. If neither one is willing to extend trust to the other, right? So sometimes the biggest challenge isn't that I can't trust you. It's that I'm not willing to extend trust to you. It's more than a lack of trustworthiness. It's, does that make sense? It's learning to lead with smart trust. So now, if I'm a cynic or somebody listening, you're sitting there saying, but not everyone's trustworthy. Clay, I'm not going to trust this convicted killer to babysit my children or whatever extreme example. Mm-hmm. And that's true. You need to learn to extend smart trust. However, as a leader, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to theorize, I think we under-trust. So Carl Freudenberg has said this. He said, 
I prefer to give my trust a hundred times and risk being disappointed two or three times than to live perpetually in an atmosphere of distrust. Yes, there's a, a, a risk and a cost to trusting people, but I think the risk and cost is far greater to not trusting people. I met with a group of uh, CNAs and nurses a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about having an absence of trust on a team. Uh-huh. And there was this common feeling among the group that extending trust is really hard when you don't hold, especially the kind of a manager title or a title. And honestly, the fear of being burned by your manager as they were talking or by others, if you extend trust, like it was palpable. It was real. And it takes courage and vulnerability. Well, especially because, I mean, what if it's not reciprocated or, you know, what if what if I do get burned or, or it doesn't end up uh, turning out the way I want it to turn out if I And so we trust. operate without that trust. And what he's saying is the cost of operating without that trust is greater than the cost of people abusing that trust that you've given to them. In, in his other book, and it's in the other podcast, The Speed of Trust, he talks about a bodega in New York City. And they couldn't hire enough people to keep up with the people coming in and out. Mm-hmm. So what did they do? They put a basket of cash out. And they said, put in what uh, yours cost and take your change. Did some people take advantage of that trust? Yes. But the speed of doing business, the speed of trust. They said their revenues grew by four times and their expenses only went up a little bit. So you're saying, I mean, over time, if you are that CNA or that nurse that decides, I want to start extending trust, I want to be a leader in my facility and extend trust, there are times where you will be burned. Yeah. But by extending the trust over and over again, there's going to be more... Extending the smart trust. The smart I'm trust. Not, I'm not telling you to that person that continues to abuse you to continue extending trust. To that person. But as a leader, so so before, as a leader, why did you hire that person if you don't trust them, right? You should only be hiring yeah. people that you trust. Now, as a coworker and you don't have an ability to, that's where you have to learn to extend smart trust, but Again, operating on the premise that we underextend we trust underextend it. because we've been burned by. We treat ni- the other 95% of the people that we can trust based on the burden that those 5% that we can't trust, how they've treated us. And we can't do that. We need to look. This is why Covey says extending trust is the essence of what great leadership entails. The very first job of a leader, the very first job is to inspire trust. The second job of a leader, So the first job of a leader, they need to inspire people to trust them. Two, they need to extend trust. In fact, it's interesting because studies show the number one factor linked to happiness, more than income, good health, any of those things, is relationships of trust. People that are really happy are in relationships of trust. So let's dig into this a little. In his book, he also talks about the, the best ways for leaders to establish trust is to one, clarify expectations, yeah. and then to practice accountability. Yeah. Those 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 two pieces are, you know, practice accountability is an interesting one because a lot of times leaders will say, oh, I'm sort of being held accountable by my staff, and so I'm afraid to, you know, hold them accountable yeah. because I need them so desperately. And yet he's here saying, um, you know, that, that practicing accountability is one of the most important ways to build trust. 
So let's start by why that clarifying expectations is so important when we're leading with this trust and looking to build trust. Yeah. And the order, he says, is essential. It's imperative that you start with clear expectations. This is one of the Moneyball questions. Uh, When people feel like they're engaged in their jobs, it's because expectations are clear. Uh, Stephen Covey Sr. has said, frustration is a function of expectation. All of these things, yet as a leader, how good are we at really clarifying expectations? This is what we want to achieve by when. And this is this is where we fail. I promise to do better this month is not a clear expectation. I'm going to focus on marketing. That's not a clear expectation. It doesn't give me a clear path to practice accountability. So as partners, as a cluster, as a facility, as CNA cohorts, as as whatever situation, create a shared vision of what needs to be done and do this well up front. If you if you're really good at, you know, saying this is what green and clean looks like, it's more than even just what needs to be done. But how are you getting it done? How are we going to get it done? What's the agreement? What are we trying to accomplish? If we do that well up front. We clear up so many headaches. Accountability is so much easier because expectations are so clear. Covey says this. He says, mutually agreed upon expectations where where they're involved in the expectations too. The father and the son going out and saying, this needs to be green and clean. Do we agree? Do we agree that's what the lawn should look like? And it's not just we need to have better marketing or we need to increase our census. It's It's very clear. clear. This is what green looks like. This is what clean looks like. So he says, mutually agreed upon expectations are far more valuable to trust than dictated expectations. The leader coming in and saying, you need to do this. You need to behave this way. Uh, I need you. You need to agree. Up, what should we expect from you, CNAs, housekeepers, laundry workers? Mm-hmm. What should be expected? What's fair? People need to have the opportunity to push back, to help come to an expectation that's realistic and that can work from both points of view. This is, again, mock me all you want for green and clean. They set up the stewardship agreement. They reaffirmed it. They didn't backslide when somebody, you know, when the boy made a mistake. He kept believing in his son and he kept holding him accountable. How? In the way that they agreed. He said, we're going to do walk arounds. Mm-hmm. So when, it do- when that happens, he doesn't look like he's micromanaging. It's he's keeping his agreement. And And Stephen Jr. said, because I felt trusted, I didn't want to let my dad down, right? Like that extension of trust motivates him. When a, when a stewardship agreement is clearly established, it stands as the basis of that trust. So I just want to make sure we have some clarity around kind of this principle of a stewardship agreement, yeah. especially for those who may not have heard or heard you've talked about this in the past or, or understand that. Can I we, love these. Can you like walk through a little bit about the stewardship agreement, what it is and what it really entails? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll say, you know, this is, again, I referred to green and clean, but I do need as a caveat to say it's difficult to use stewardship agreements if you don't first have a relationship of trust. And it's difficult to maintain them if you don't have personal credibility. So those that are thinking that a stewardship agreement is just going to come and save your cluster or your operation, no, you have to have that credibility and that trust, right? You start with clear expectations by stating the desired results, right? All we care about is green and clean. What's a CNA's green and clean? Well, we want call light response times of two minutes or less. We want customer service feedback scores of 8.5 or higher. We want, so you start with those clear expectations by stating the desired results. Be specific, time, quantity, quality. 
Make it mutual. What do we both want to see? CNAs? Can we have a discussion? I mean, yes. this has to be a, a discussion where you actually sit down and talk together. To, to a CNA what needs we to be able want. to say two minutes is too, mm-hmm. I can't do it. And have that space and that. And that's why I think that yes. when you started, there's got to be that trust and there's got to be the credibility because there won't be that mutual discussion if you don't have that. Yeah. And then I'd say after m- that mutual agreement, clarify expectations by setting guidelines like the green and clean the father you know he didn't say it in the video but he you can't go paint the grass <laughs> green right like yeah. we have certain standards that need to be met and and you know they it needs to be natural right and and what are the principles that need to be followed those are sort of the guidelines right uh, we want a survey with no harm tags, but we do not sacrifice your employees. You've got to be practicing customer second. If you have amazing results, but your turnover is over 150%, you failed, right? Like, I can't just say, I only care about survey results, or I only care about EBIT, or I only care. No, there's core values that we have to cling to. And so those are sort of the guidelines that need to be established. In a stewardship agreement, you must remember that you can't hold accountable for results if you dictate their methods. If I'm telling you how to get the results, I can't hold you accountable for those results because they're now my results. I'm dictating the methods. So then I'd say be very clear on the resources that they have available in the stew. Hey, I'm here to help you. You can call me anytime. You can call me out anytime. You can, if I'm, if I'm doing something wrong, you can give me this feedback, right? So you're, you're clarifying these expectations. You're, you're setting up the guidelines. You're saying, what are the resources that are available? And then after all of this clarifying of expectations is set up, so that all of that falls under clarifying expectations. Now let's move to practicing accountability. Evaluate them against the agreement. See, if you're if you have agreed to walk around the yard every week, you're not going to feel like you're micromanaging, right? Like I said before, you're just keeping your. It's agreement. an agreement you've already set. You've already established. I'm just keeping a commitment. Yeah, that I, that I promised you I would do right, and specify when and how progress reports are made and how accountability you know sessions are going to be held. Then clarify what the consequences will be when we hit this goal. If we don't meet this goal. Like, be very clear up front, and then you're just keeping your word. You see you see how these, these you know, stewardship agreements, they're going to build trust because you're doing what you said you do. Clearly understanding these things together, um, you know, th- this, is, this is what's going to happen when results are achieved. And here's the rule on the clarity on, on res- you know, what needs to be achieved, how are we. The rule is no guessing. If, if your people have to guess— then you're failing in your clarity. Always come back to the agreement because the agreement governs, not you, mm-hmm. right? These these are the principles that govern an effective stewardship agreement. All right, and that makes sense. I, I think it helps me under, better understand and see how practicing that accountability side really builds trust. If we've got those agreements established, yeah. we have them in place, it's so much easier to hold people accountable, hold ourselves accountable. And Expectations are clear. Now you're doing what you said you were. Tell them what you're going to do. Do what you said you were going to do. So what I mean is what happens in those situations where we where we feel like as a leader that we don't trust the person. Um, can you still really clarify those expectations and hold some accountable yeah. if you don't really ever trust them? And and maybe you you when you feel sh- like you're being held hostage by those employees. Yeah, you right? share that example. I mean, you're, you're this ED, to, the deal one that feels like yeah. they're being held hostage. I mean, well, what do you do in those situations? And what would you really say to them? So let's clarify 
um, holding, uh, you know, practicing accountability. Hold yourself accountable first. This is you uh, practicing accountability, rule number one. It's that looking inward. Looking inward. It all starts, hold yourself accountable first. Hold others accountable second. If you're not good at holding yourself accountable, you're going to stink at holding others accountable. Hmm. It will, you will be terrible at it. If you act like a tortured genius, this is from the book Extreme Ownership. A tortured genius is someone that is constantly thinking, if everyone would just listen the word, to me. Isn't that the word you can ever remember? Yeah, tortured I'm genius. always doing trainings. I'm like, what is that <laughs> phrase? And it's tortured genius. And, and, and they're just constantly saying, if you just listen to me, we wouldn't have any problems. Resources, you do this. If the field would just listen to me, their problems would be solved. And EDs do this and DONs do this. And my people would just listen to me. That's, that's, you have to practice accountability on yourself. If you are really good at holding yourself accountable, if you start with you, the, one of the great things that happens is it encourages others to do the same, right? This, this inside out enduring influence is, is created from the inside out. Oftentimes when you're really good at holding yourself accountable, you don't have to hold them accountable because they you're modeling and they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But even if you do have to hold them accountable, it's easier because they've seen you hold yourself accountable first. Now, I will say this. You can't sustain trust without accountability. Hmm. You can't, if you don't hold, if you are being held hostage successfully and not practicing accountability, you will not have a trusting team. Covey says this, people actually respond to accountability. It's why sports teams keep score. It helps us to know how we're doing and what to work toward. So now combine clarifying expectations and and practicing accountability by developing a mutually agreed upon process of accountability wherever possible, right? We need to, if I'm in a cluster, if I'm in a facility, if I'm, if I'm a preceptor to a CIT, if I'm in an ED DON partnership, I need to start creating these mutually agreed upon accountability. Like what are, what is our green and clean? A lack of involvement from the other person often leads to a lack of commitment. So if you've agreed to touch base on a weekly project, you're checking in is just honoring that commitment, right? But if there isn't that clarity and you haven't agreed upon it, then it could lead to more of that micromanaging yeah, feel. Yeah, feels like that. Yeah. Look, again, I I keep quoting Green and Clean, one of the greatest films ever made, right? We'll walk around the yard every week and talk about how things are going. That's not micromanaging. That's doing what you said you're going to do. And it's because you agreed upon it first. Yeah. And if you agree to these expectations, I'm willing to extend you this trust. If I interview a DON and I say, hey, we want to achieve the flag and this is all that it entails, do we have a deal? If they agree to that, I can now extend trust. And I feel like for those who can't agree and those who decide not to agree in those situations i mean then as that leader you get to decide and have that discussion of maybe they're on the wrong seat yep. on the bus but as Absolutely. you're working through that clarity as you're talking and, and being open and setting up those boundaries and really those stewardship agreements you'll know if you've got the right people on the bus absolutely and then it gives those people the decision that you know, maybe they don't want to sit on the bus anymore maybe yep. they want to leave you're a great person i still love you this isn't the right bus for you so I really love this concept uh, of really growing people by trusting them. Yeah. And and really managers want to fix people. Yeah. But leaders, they're wanting to grow 
people. Don't you want to fix people sometimes? That's how I realize when I'm a manager, I need to fix that person. <laughs> I think what I naturally want to say is it's easier. Yeah. But as we talk about these concepts, and, and I, I feel like in the end, I mean, it really isn't easy. I don't think it is. Yeah. Uh, if we can really look to the growing people, uh, I think I think they'll finally become and 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 be able to take us to that next level if yeah. if we're focusing on that growth of them Flees versus the jump just higher. fixing them. Yeah. So. I mean, command and control leaders, we've talked about it, they really demand results uh -huh. versus the trust and inspire leaders want to develop people who will consistently get great results. Yeah. And the Zanger uh, Folkman firm, they released a study that said the combination of trust and virtually every other leadership behavior brings dramatic improvement. Yeah. All right. And I, I love the Don Quixote example because I do think people want to live up to trust. They want to prove your trust is justified. Yeah. And when leaders treat people as partners, not problems, those people start to change. Doesn't it all keep coming back to leadership and self-deception? <laughs> Listen really to that does. podcast, read that book, please. And honestly, it's probably why Stephen says that trust is the ultimate human currency. Yeah. Um, let me just add one more quote here from the book. Henry David Thoreau said, I think we may safely trust a good deal more than we do. Yeah. Right? We undertrust. I think we do. I think a lot of that stems from the fear of, of what will happen um, yeah. if we do extend too much trust. And like you said earlier, there is a cost to trusting people. Yeah. There but is. there is a greater cost to not trusting people. And I'm hoping that as leaders, that those who are listening and as we think about this book and as we read this book, that we're asking ourselves, who can I extend more trust to? That's a great question for everyone to just be sitting there going, who do I need to extend more trust to? Like, who am I not trusting? Who who doesn't know that I trust them? And who do I need to say, hey, I trust you, and this is why, followed by very specific things? Uh, I, I do, I think we under-trust. So, Clay, I think we should end the podcast here for this one with our focus on yeah, leading Connor's by trust. Yeah, falling over. I think he's falling asleep <laughs> over there. So. The next oh. podcast we're going to finish with inspiring by connecting to the why. Yeah. I like this one. Now we're fine. We finally talked about trusting in this third podcast and the fourth one, inspiring by connecting them to that connecting line. Connecting to the line, so. I like that. Okay, okay thanks, thank Jared. you. Thank you.